Oh, cute. Beautiful. Why don't we just take a second? Let's have our, whoever, if your child is here with you, we just want to take a minute to say a word of prayer for our moms, okay? Lord, we thank you, Father, for, (laughs) we thank you, Father, for the beautiful mothers that we have in this place. God, we thank you that they have given the gift of life, but Lord, even beyond that, they continually give of themselves, and Lord, that they give life to us continually. So, God, we ask, Lord, that even this Mother's Day, God, that there would be um, just even an extra portion of grace released, Lord, over our mothers. Lord, grace, Lord, even for the year that is ahead, Lord, we ask, Father, that they would truly see the significance of what it is that they are, are doing and how they are sowing, Lord, into sons and daughters. Amen. Um, one, one thing that we actually want to do um, is Mother's Day can actually be a very sensitive time, even for some people, because there are those that are believing the Lord for children and that they may not have had the gift of conception yet. And so Mother's Day can actually, it's a joyous time, but for some it can actually be a very painful time because there's those that desire children that may not have them. If there's anybody here, and not to put you on the spot, and if you don't want to stand to your feet, absolutely don't. But if there is anybody here that is believing the Lord for a child and you would like us to pray in agreement with you and together as a congregation, you know, for a child, um, we just want to be sensitive to that and understanding that there's those that desire to be mothers. And if there's anybody here, we just want to give an opportunity really quickly. And if there's not, that's perfectly fine. Absolutely. Please, do you want to come up here so we can pray for you? Yeah, absolutely. I actually messaged a friend this morning, and um, her firstborn she lost in childbirth. And that's actually, that's what I shared with my friend. I said, you know, my, um, my thoughts and my prayers are with you because the mother's heart that is, you know, missing the child. That So, Father, we thank you, Lord, for every mom in this place, Lord, those that um, have conceived children, and, Lord, even those, Father, that have brought forth life, and, Lord, that they have not been able to carry and hold on to and even nurture that life um, to the end of its days. Lord, those that have um, lost children prematurely, God, we ask for the comfort of the Holy Spirit, Lord, upon those mothers' hearts, Lord, that you would comfort and, Lord, even bring a greater measure of healing in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yes, absolutely. So, uh, where's my husband? Did I lose my husband? Oh, (laughs) he's going to actually do announcements. Why don't we dismiss kids? Do you want to pray for the kids? The children, they are restless and ready to go. Children, come on up. We got to pray for you. Come on up. Right around me. Come on, come on, come on, come on. I know you can run. There you go. Oh, y'all, gather around. We're going to pray. Everybody in the congregation, extend your hand towards our children. Father, we thank you for these dear, precious children. Come on, guys. Come on up. And, Lord, we ask God today, as they're in that, that room, Lord, that you would teach them great things, Lord, that... God, at a young, tender age, Lord, they would know your presence. They would know your spirit upon their lives. Lord, we thank you that we're not merely babysitting, but we're stewarding. We're raising up the next generation. And God, we ask for your help and your guidance and for fun. Someone say fun. Fun. In Jesus' name. Go out, guys. Have fun. Yay. Thank God there's children around. Come on. Uh, we're going to give you a couple of announcements before we uh, go into the word here today. Um, one is we are continuing with our sets. Many of you know that we are a house of prayer um, as well as a church. We actually started off as a house of prayer. I don't want to get into the details. Some of you might be saying house of prayer. What does that mean? But let me just give you a brief introduction. Uh, mainly what we do is we provide prayer and worship sets throughout the week. Um, and there are small gatherings of mainly college students, some uh, working class and, and stuff like that. But uh, we offer um, Tuesday nights through Saturday nights, um, both uh, 6.30 a.m. to 8 o'clock a.m. And then again, 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. We offer two sets virtually a day starting Tuesday through Saturday. Saturday, there's only one set. Tuesday, there's only one set. But if you want more information on our prayer sets, you can go right to the table. There's a card that says the J-Hop. It's the Justice House of Prayer. You can get all the details, location, uh, right there at the informational booth, um, at the Welcome Center, I'm sorry. Also, um, we canceled this 
uh, week's outreach due to the rain um, and to Mother's Day. A lot of our friends are gone, although you would never notice, but a lot of them are gone celebrating their mothers as they should be. And um, so we took this week and this Friday off of our outreach, and we want to start that the last, or we want to pick that back up the last week in May. We're going to go out into Harvard Square and just do what we usually do, our outreach right there. That starts at, uh, we meet at 6.30, also at the Justice House of Prayer. Again, you can find all the location information right at the welcoming table. If you're interested, you can um, email us at info at jhopboston.com, and we can get back to you all the details and connect with you. But usually it's a small group that heads over there, and we just bring the love of Christ as well as clothes, food, and just to try to meet some of the monetary need, but also the spiritual. Um, also, I think uh, the 18th of May, I don't think, I know, the 18th of May, uh, we have a, a precious couple coming out from Kansas City, IHOP. Um, that's right, the 18th, right, babe? Yeah, next Sunday. Sorry, I should just say the next Sunday. Uh, we have a precious couple coming out uh, from IHOP KC. Um, they're about ready to be launched and sent into the missions field. And they're just going to come and uh, be with us and share their heart uh, about this current mission that the Lord's going to send them on. And we're going to try to get behind them as a church. We've already sowed uh, some um, good money into their trip, and we're looking forward to getting behind them and sowing into them as they go out into the mission field. So please come. May 18th, you'll find out um, more. how many love the missions movement in America. We thank God for them. So we want to get behind it as a church. We want to sow into it as a church. So we're just proud that we have our precious dear friends coming out next Sunday. Um, And then I think, oh, yeah, I'm going to get to get there. Uh, Sorry, it's a little confusing today. We got, we had a little late start and whatnot. As many people um, that usually serve with us uh, had to bail out just because of uh, Mother's Day obligations and sickness and all that kind of stuff. Um, one more thing. Many of you may have heard that there is going to be a, I don't know any other way to say this other than the way it was written on the blog. There's going to be a satanic service at Memorial Hall in Harvard. Um, I don't really know the details. I don't, I've never even been introduced. I have no understanding of what goes on there. I frankly don't care. Um, but what I do know is what we're trying to rally um, a group of people to go there the night of, that's May 12th, this Monday, um, tomorrow. I should just say tomorrow. <laughs> Sorry. I'm more a dates guy. But we're going to be going there, and we're going to be uh, just having small uh, prayer initiative where we're going to walk around the campus and just believe God for the inbreak of his kingdom. Come on. How many believe that God can interrupt a meeting where they're worshiping the devil? We believe that. Well... We want to go there. We're not going to be annoying. We're not going to try to make a scene. We're simply going to go there, and we're going to pray, and we're going to exalt the name of Jesus over the campus Why this gathering is going on. So our um, plan is to meet 8 o'clock at the Justice House of Prayer. That's 135 Western Avenue. I'd encourage you, if you're new with us here today, to look at our welcoming center, grab the cards, get the information, get the details, um, so that way you know where the address is, you know what times and dates and things that we're doing. Go there and uh, find out more information on our things coming up. All right? I think that... And Wendy Wu. Yes, sorry. Sorry, so good. Wendy Wu and Jim Khan, come on up. Come on up. John, yeah. Uh, we've been doing uh, small groups. These are officially our two small group leaders as of now, and they're just going to give you a little introduction to their groups. Yeah, so originally we were all... It was one small group on Wednesday nights from 7 to 9. Everyone was together. Uh, it's just going through... The blueprint of small groups is just going through a little bit of changes. Um... As of now, I'll be leading the college-age students. And uh, until further notice, we'll still be meeting on Wednesdays at 7 at the J-Hop House. So, yeah, Wednesday nights, 7 to 9, uh, college students. And I know, like, a lot of us in here are, leaders, uh, are leading on our campuses and discipling others on our campus. And I just know that it's important for us to be discipled ourselves. So even if you're going to be here during the summer, I know a lot of us are. Um, I encourage you guys to come out and be discipled so you can go out and disciple others in the new semester. So, 7 and 9, Wednesday. Wendy. Hi. For those who don't know me, my name is Wendy Yu. I'll be leading the uh, the professional small group. We're going to meet biweekly. Uh, we're going to have a kickoff on Wednesdays from 7 to 9 at my place. Uh, we're going to have a kickoff meeting on March 21st, which I believe is next Wednesday. Uh, come look for me after service so I can give you more information. Um, dinner will be provided for this kickoff, so come hungry. 
Fun, fun, fun. Well, today we have a surprise guest with us. Um, For those of you that have never met my mother, Marlene Yo, she's absolutely extraordinary. Um, And so for Mother's Day, we actually get to hear from my mother. And for anybody that was here the first week that we did the Inner Healing um, series, I did share a little bit just as far as my mother being a first-generation Christian and that she came out of Um, a family with addiction and brokenness, and what a testament her life is to the power of Jesus Christ. Um, But she raised us truly in godliness, word, and the prayer, and prayer. I actually, I wrote on my Facebook status this morning, I can remember as a child, I never left for school without being prayed for. And if you ever question the power of prayer, I can look back on my childhood. You know how when you're a kid, you can't necessarily articulate or give language to certain things, but when you get older... I look back on my childhood, and when I think about it, I, anybody that knows my testimony, I, I was definitely preserved with innocence um, all through my elementary, high school years. Innocence, that's the only word I can use. And I look back, and I say to, say to people all the time, I feel like there was almost like a bubble that was surrounding me that just literally kept me in a place of innocence and protected me from certain things. And I even look at circumstances where things could have been very different, but the Lord intervened on my behalf, and it's the power of prayer. And um, now she's the president of Somebody Cares New England, which is a compassion ministry that's based out of Haverhill, and she's the pastor of CCF Street, Street Church. Uh, no, it's not CCF Street Church anymore. We changed names. <laughs> that's what it started and was founded as. Um, but more than that, she's an extraordinary mother um, and champion in our family. So we're excited to have you here. I just want to explain the CCF Street Church part. Um, when we first launched our church, Daryl and Bethany were the key leadership team with me, and uh, we have a couple of folk here from Haverhill, Lori Dane Sema and Sheila. Anybody else come with you? Just you guys. Thanks for coming. I bet you didn't know I was here, did you? You heard service this morning. Well, guess what? <laughs> but anyway, so we launched our church uh, over eight years ago. And uh, it was called CCF Street Church. Our full name is Community Christian Fellowship. It's a lot to say. So we go CCF. And then Street Church, because our logo is taking the love and power of Christ to the streets. So we kind of smashed our logo with our name together. But what happened is just about two and a half years ago, the Lord thrust us up the hill a one mile from where our outreach had been for over 12 years as Somebody Cares New England. And what we became was uh, property owners as a church, and we were no longer on the storefronts right on the street. Now we were in a building, and now instead of ministering to homeless and people on the streets, we're ministering to gang members and um, families and children up on the hill. So we've been thrust to a new realm of ministry. So our name didn't fit as well, so now we are CCF. And uh, we are still taking the love and power of Christ to the streets, but it's not just to the street people but it's to the community, and now it's we're in neighborhoods. So um, I thank God for the transition. It's been a very difficult one, a very challenging one, um, but it's a good one. So anyway, that's just a little bit about us. Um, So I've been asked today to share, while I'm sharing with you the word of the Lord, I've been asked you to share a little bit of my testimony, which I can't help but weave it anyway because it's so much a part. But I want to start out with just reading a few scripture verses and um, getting a foundation for where we're going to go today. Um, Romans chapter 12, and I didn't get it to the overhead people in enough time to get stuff up, so I don't know how you're going to do that, but Romans chapter 12, verse 1 through 2, says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, that scripture verse right there, I could spend probably all afternoon on. But what I want to point to you is a couple of things. One is it says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. How many of you have heard kind of the cultural mindset, my body is my body and I'll do what I want with my body? Guess what? It's not your body. It's the temple of the Holy Ghost if you're a born-again Christian. If you're not a born-again Christian, your body still belongs to the one that created you because he made you, so he owns you. But you just haven't recognized his ownership yet. But your body does not belong to you. You are a steward of your body, but your body is not yours. You've been bought with a price, and it's the blood of the lamb. So your body is not for whatever you want to do with it. 
The Bible talks about glorifying God in your body. So what you do with your body, how you treat your body, how you uh, handle your body, how you feed your body, how you rest your body, all of those things, we have to glorify God with our body. Your body's not your own. It's not your own. It belongs to him. So this is talking about that your body is for service unto the Lord. It says, don't be conformed to this world. Now, I wrote a confession, and the confession I shared with my congregation this morning, we put up on the overhead, and I read it first to them and invited them to say it with me. We don't have it on the overhead, but I'm going to read it to you. And this was my declaration today, and I invited our congregation to join me in it. I am a Christian born again into God's holy family and governed by the king who saved me whose kingdom is revealed to me in his written word. I am not a cultural Christian, influenced or controlled by the kingdoms of this world or the spirit of this age. I believe the Bible. The difference between a biblical, born-again, Bible-believing Christian and a cultural Christian is we do not conform to this world, but we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. I can remember when I first became a Christian and I did not know the word of the Lord very well. And I can remember saying when someone said to me, why was Jesus water baptized? And I said, oh, he needed to be washed of his sins. Can you imagine? I didn't know the word of God. Said he was the perfect lamb of God. All I knew is that I'd had an experience and an encounter with the love of God, but my mind had not been renewed yet according to the word of God so that I thought God's thoughts. I had my own thoughts. I actually told somebody, you don't even need the Old Testament. We're not under the Old Testament. We're under the New Covenant. You don't even need that. Don't even bother reading that. It's all kinds of stuff in there we don't do anymore anyway. I mean, that's the kind of things that I thought. And you know, there are a lot of Christians who believe in Jesus, but they have no clue what the Bible says about certain things that we face every day in life. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12 through 13 says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Now, as you know, in our culture, there is a massive, aggressive war against family. Massive, aggressive war. And you might say, well, little old lady, why don't you catch up with the 21st century? It's called evolving. Well, let me just say to you this, is that the war against the family, the war against marriage, the war against reproduction of godly children. The war against it is because of the origin of family. Let me share with you what it says about origin. The very foundation, the origin, is the point or place where something begins, the source or cause of something. God is the originator of family. Before there was an Adam and an Eve, there was a father, son, and a Holy Spirit. Now, when you think of family, father, son, we got that figured out pretty well, but Holy Spirit, what is the Holy Spirit's part or role in the family. Well, when you look and read about what the Holy Spirit, the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit and the role, comforter, friend, counselor, helper. Doesn't that sound a lot like a mom? The one that comes alongside. I love the parallel between men and women, husbands and wives, moms and dads. A little seven-year-old skins his knee on the sidewalk and the mom is running, honey, get the Band-Aid. And the father's like, get it up, son, shake it off. And you're like, what? If you've got a heart? And he's like, let the kid alone. We don't want him to grow up, be 60 years old, and he's crying because he didn't get a raise at work and boo-hoo. And you have to, like, it's a balance between the two. So let mom put the Band-Aid on and kiss the boo-boo, and, tell, and daddy can tell the kid, get up and shake it off now. So it's both. It's comfort, but it's also challenge. Fathers are really good at challenging their sons. Come on, son, get up and get in the game. Don't let them bullies push you around. Get back in there and show them who you are. And mom's like, honey, don't hit him back. Just walk away. And dad's like, you want the kid to be disrespected on the school playground? You know, give in. And so there's this conflict that comes between the way that men and women see the way that children need to be uh, taught to respond to certain things in the world. But I'm here to say to you, I don't believe it's either or. I believe it's both. 
we are supposed to teach our children not to be aggressively hurtful and harmful to people and to be forgiving, but we're also to teach them not to be pushed around. Jesus was not pushed around. I'm really sorry. He was a very strong leader, but he also knew when to keep his mouth closed. He also knew when to walk away, but he also knew when to get in there with the whip and the money changes. So the both the lion and the lamb is represented in the family between the mother and the father, the husband and the wife. So there is this beautiful blend that's supposed to happen, but usually it becomes a conflicting and a war kind of thing in the home. So to compare spiritual things with spiritual. So when we talk about the origin of family, we have to look at where's the first family? It's in heaven. Second family that we know of is Adam and Eve and, of course, Cain and Abel. So that's the created family. See, there's original family and created family. So we are created by the originator of family who is God our Father. And this is what it says about creation. The act of creating, especially the act of bringing the world into ordered existence. So he created Adam. God created the world, but he created Adam. And then he says, Adam, I want you to help me name the animals. And I'm not really sure why he did that, other than he wants us to be a part of what he's doing. Isn't that fun? He doesn't need us. Did he need us to name the animals, Adam? Name the animals? He didn't need that. But he invites us to be a part of what he's doing. And that's what procreation is all about. Procreation is God inviting us to be a part of his creative power. But he's the one that procreates. But he gives us the ability to be a part of what he's doing. What an incredible honor, but an also an incredible uh, responsibility. This is what Second Timothy 1 says, 12 through 13. For this reason, I also suffered these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed, for I know in whom I've believed and am fully persuaded that he is able to keep what I've committed to him until that day. Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. I know in whom I've believed and I am fully persuaded. I don't care if an evolutionist comes to challenge my theology. I don't care if a, a modern uh, day whatever comes and says, it's time for you to change and get with the program and it's no longer what it was. It's a new model. It's no longer the traditional family. It's the modern family. The Bible is the Bible is the Bible. And yes, there are traditions that are passed from generation to generation that should fall away because it keeps us from coming to know the one and true God. But there are traditions in the Bible. There are, there are certain things in the Bible that will always be with us. And it's a comfort to have them and to know some things will never change. And one of those things in the eyes of God is family. The model of family will never change in the eyes of God. God determines what family is. Now, the definition, according to Webster's about family, is a group of people who are related to each other, a person's children, a group of related people, including people who lived in the past, any group of persons closely related by blood. Closely related by blood. Do you know how you're related to God? Through blood. The blood that he gave you that runs through your veins when you do a study about children and being formed in their mother's womb, by the third day, there's blood. By the third day. No heart. How can that be? The Lord created the infant and knit that infant together in its mother's womb. And the third day, there was blood. So blood covenant, husband and wife, blood covenant, Jesus Christ, blood covenant. How are we related to Jesus? Through his precious blood that he washed us and cleansed us and made us part of the family of God. So it's by blood. So I don't care who says a family can be anything you want it to be. Have you seen the news of this whackball, crazy nincompoop? Sorry, did I just say that? He wants to marry his computer. Anybody seen that? You seen that? And you know why? Because he has a love relationship with the pornography on his computer. And he wants to know why can't he marry his computer? Because isn't marriage all about what love is, as long as you love, can't you marry what you love? Can you see the direction that this is going? It's becoming crazy, crazy, crazy. So the uh, Webster's Dictionary talks about it being blood that causes you to be family. Now, I understand there are blended families. Both of my sons married women that had children from other fathers. And do you know what? No matter how much my sons labor as far as work, care for, provide for, love, nurture, 
You know what those kids say? You are not my father. You might act a role as my dad, but you're not my father. You'll never be my father. That's in the heart of a child. And why do they say that? Because blood is thicker than water. Because blood determines relationship. That's why the family of God, there's such a bond. It's because of the blood of Jesus. Because of his blood, I am your sister and you are my brother. And there is nothing that we can change about that. It's because of Christ. We are bond together in the family spirit and God is our father. So blood is part of covenant and part of family. Now, the definition of the modern family, according to culture, is this. Any group of people who live together. That's the definition of modern family. But it does not change the definition of God's view of family. Now, we, we live in a, in a culture where there is broken families. There are broken relationships. Now, I grew up in a family where I had a mom and a dad. They lived together. But they weren't in love with each other. Our home was not a pleasant place to be. You never knew what you were coming home to when you came home. So, yes, we had blood, but you know what we lived like? We lived like enemies. We didn't live like a family that loved one another. We lived like a family that hated one another. There was anger and bitterness and rage and hurt and horrible words. Today, I remember when we were at our church service this morning, we gave roses out to all the ladies. And I remember when I was at the kitchen sink cutting off all the prickers, and I was thinking, isn't that just like relationships in a family? It's supposed to be beautiful, but it can be the most harming, hurtful, disastrous relationship on the face of the earth. Home should be where we're nurtured, where we're loved, where we're cared for, where we're given the skills that we need and the tools that we need to succeed in life. But oftentimes that is not the case, even in families where you live with your biological mother and father. God's blueprint and family designed for family is father as protector, provider, disciplinarian. How many moms, they have to use the dad. When your father gets home, you just wait till your father gets home. Because the authority figure of a father brings a, the, like the fear of the Lord in the child. Oh, boy, when dad gets home, I'm going to get it. And so he's more of the disciplinarian. Moms are kind of like, I hate to say it, but a pushover. You know what I mean? Moms more relate to their children emotionally, where fathers look at it from a different angle, and so the discipline is often given in a different way from a dad, and it brings about the fear of the Lord in a child's heart. There are also coaches. I watch coaches when my son was in baseball, and I watch coaches talk to the kids on the bench, and I'm like, hey, don't talk to my kid like that. The coach is like, get up, stop being a wimp, get up, get out there, get and, you know, like barking at the kid like a coach does. And I'm like, geez, Louise, he's only seven years old. Like, give the kid a break. You know, like, I don't want the kid to get roughed up. I don't want him to get dirty. I don't want him to get banged around on the field. But you know what? Men know what men need. That's why women don't mentor men. They can't. Men have to mentor men. Just like men can't mentor women. Could you see a guy being a coach in a labor room with his wife? He's like, honey, I can't do it. I'm going to throw up. I got to go. He can't even endure what the woman's going through because to them, that's the time they feel the emotion that they cover up so much when their wives are, there, are going through child labor. Right, Dee? <laughs> I was there, I know. All right. So a mother usually plays the role of comforter, helper, friend, counselor in this tender heart. And then, of course, brothers and sisters in a family are supposed to be the closest friends. And yet in our culture... They are the worst enemies. Situation talking with a, a young child and the way that they interacted with their, their sibling broke my heart. And I said to this child, it was probably about 11, 12 years old, I said to them, I can't believe the way you talk to your brother. And I said, is, there, is that acceptable in your family household to talk like that to each other? And they said, what are you talking about? I said, you know, the, the mean, hurtful words. They said, well, we're only kidding. I said, that's supposed to be funny? Really? I remember watching that movie Home Alone and the big brother, I'm going to slap him, the way he treated that little fella and the way he talked to him. And I thought that's kind of the cultural norm of how children talk to each other. Is it any wonder why on our school playgrounds such bullying is going on because of the way that people are allowed to speak to each other? Cruel, hateful, horrible words to each other. This is not God's idea of family, but it's the reality of what we live in. Why is that? Because as Christians, we are not standing up against the cultural norm. We are not saying, I'm sorry, but this is not how our family is going to go. 
as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And in serving the Lord, we're going to honor him. And we're going to bless him by the way we speak to each other. And the words that we use are going to be words that edify and comfort and build up and not tear down. We want to build up our children so that they can go further than we've ever gone. So that they have a foundation of what we were maybe not given. And I don't, I'm not trying to make those that were raised in families where their parents were good parents and they did the best they could to feel like, geez, what's wrong with me? I was raised in a nice household. You're the exception when that should be the norm. So many have brokenness. Identity and security come from family. Mothers give their children the sense of worth. Fathers give their children their sense of identity. So that a child can say this, I know who I am and I know that I'm loved and I know that my value is not in what I do but in who I am and in who loves me. Everything in a human being life is defined by love because God is love. Family has the power to cause you to thrive or just barely survive or for a child to dive down into a spiral, a downward spiral of despair. Two parent families have the ability to do that. It doesn't mean they will. It just means they have the ability. If a husband and a wife are working together and honoring the Lord, their children will be blessed. If they are at odds with one another and at enmity with one another and strife with one another, it'll bring strife into the home. Single parent households do well just to survive. We minister at Somebody Cares to mostly single parent households and the devastation and the hurt and the pain is ginormous. It is such a large festering wound in people's souls that the only hope for them is the the power of the Holy Spirit to bring healing in their soul. Children from broken families have a very difficult time just surviving in the world. Dr. Henry Cloud and John Townsend, the the mom factor, wrote a book. There are five things every child needs from their mom. Safety, nurture, trust, belonging, and someone to love. Safety comes in the form of a person who's predictable, safe, and danger-free. Most oftentimes, in a relationship with a mother that is unstable, maybe an addict, maybe mental illness, maybe they're in a home situation where their mother is so wrapped up in their own pain that their very needs are neglected. You know neglect can transfer to a child that I have no worth? when you're neglected with your basic needs. I can remember what, when uh, my kids were growing up and we would have situations that would happen in our family and I could feel myself emotionally responding to some of those situations in a not so healthy way. See, I'm not a perfect parent. What Bethany shares with you is how she views now her mom as an adult mother. But when she was growing up, I made many mistakes. But you know what the grace of God does? It covers I thank God for the grace. And you know what? When I would make a mistake and what I realized that I had hurt instead of helped my children, I humbled myself before them and said, I am sorry. I made a mistake. Please forgive me. And it made room for the grace of God to minister healing in their soul. I can remember a time, Bethany was probably eight, nine, ten years old, and I was involved in women's ministry. And what we used to do is have these little cassette recorders to record our uh, messages for the ladies that weren't there. And I can remember I had the cassette recorder in my bag, and somehow I had pushed record and play together. So it was recording conversation while I was hurrying around the house to try to get ready to get out to the women's meeting, of which she was going to come with me. And I can remember... Her saying to me, Mom, why are you yelling at me? And I said, if you think this is yelling, you should have been raised in the house I was raised in. You wouldn't believe what it's like to get yelled at. And I'm talking in a tone of voice that's hurting her feelings, but I don't know that because my tone of voice is about 10 octaves lower than what I was used to growing up as a kid. So I thought I was doing all right. So anyway, we get to the women's meeting, and I realized this recorder had been recording. So I had to rewind it, and I was rewinding back to what I thought was the beginning of the recording, and I heard myself talking to my daughter. And I started to cry, and I said, Lord, it's not good enough that I'm not doing the same thing. Until I can stop doing what I am doing and learn a new way, I need you for that, Lord. I can't do this on my own. So much of what we learn in our behavior 
of watching older people interact with one another, of watching parents interact with us as children. See, from our perspective of a child, we don't translate when we run across the street and our parent is frightened because we ran across the street after a ball and our parent scoops us up and gives us a good old-fashioned spanking and, and yells at us, you're not supposed to cross the street! That little child doesn't go, oh, you're acting like that because you love me so much. That child draws a conclusion. You hate me. You're angry with me. You're disappointed with me. You don't love me. See, they don't understand. They don't, they can't translate our behavior and understand our behavior. You know what, adults? We don't understand our behavior sometimes. Sometimes our own behavior and our own responses to people, we go, what is up? I have no, I had no idea that was inside of me. I want to tell you that growth as a parent or growth as an individual, never mind, never mind parents, I, the majority here are not parents. Growth as an individual only comes when you allow the Holy Spirit to show you the areas of your soul that are wounded, that are broken, that are fractured, that have been not matured developmentally and grown up in you, in, with you, along with you chronologically in age. See, you can be a 60-year-old and act like a 12-year-old. Just because your age has grown does not mean your soul has grown. There's only one way for your soul to grow. And that is to face those things in your past, those things that wounded you, those things that harmed you. And you may not even be cognitive of it in your mind, but your responses in situations don't match. And it causes confusion. And oftentimes as adults, we're so full of pride and we're so full of fear that instead of acknowledging that and humbling ourselves, what we do is we cover it over, mask it over and point the finger and blame somebody else. Well, if you just stop acting the way you'd act, I wouldn't act like this. How about let's take responsibility for our own behaviors, our own attitudes, and our own actions, and humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God and say, Lord, my responses are not Christ-like. My responses are causing harm, and they're not helpful. And I want to change, Lord. And would you help me? See, I didn't have a mom I could follow her model, her example. I didn't have an older sister that would help me. And I'm not going, oh, woe is me. I'm just letting you know. You're not limited. Just because you don't have a role model to show you how your responses should be, it doesn't mean you can't learn from the Holy Spirit. I love the scripture verse where it says, and the anointing will teach you all things. See, we always think of that anointing as being, okay, in ministry, the Lord will teach me how to preach or teach me how to teach or teach me those things. How about the Lord's going to teach you how to get along? How about? Yeah, we need the Lord to teach us how to get along because you know what? We don't have the skills to do it. And that's a very general overview of why the world is in the shape that it's in. We don't know how to get along. And the Holy Spirit is present, and he is a very present help in a time of need. I'll tell you, when Bethany was just a little bean, she was still in a diaper. We had gone down the beach in the summertime for a week's vacation, and I can remember her strength. She's a very strong character. Have any of you noticed how strong she is? And that's a gift, and that's a blessing. And I can remember carrying her in her little diaper or down the beach and I was crying and holding her because I was so exasperated as a mom I couldn't get her to conform I couldn't get her to lie down in the bed it was time to go to sleep I couldn't get her to do what I wanted her to do and I could remember the feeling of like overwhelming anger and I could have hurt that child at that time but I picked her up out of the bed instead and I I I hugged her close to me and I walked And I cried, and I said, God, this is a gift that you've given me. Would you help me, Lord? I don't know how to be the kind of mother that she needs. I don't know how to do this thing called being a mother. Would you help me, Lord? I want to do the right thing. Would you help me, Lord? And I remember crying out. And I want you to know that even in my weakness, even in my failure, even in my brokenness, the Lord's presence was there to help and to get us through those difficult times. And I praise God when I look at Bethany and I look at my sons and I look at my spiritual son. He was my, my son in the Lord before he was my son in, in, in marriage to my daughter. And I look and see what the Lord has done in them. And they have come so much further than I have. And I know that when a foundation is laid, the ones that are laying a foundation, it's never fun. 
It's no fun being first generation Christian. You don't get, you don't get an easy ride at all. But this is what I know. When we were building our uh, first uh, single, single family home, I can remember when they were <clears throat> digging up the ground and all the roots that they'd pull out of the ground and the big boulders and, you know, all the mess and the land looked terrible. And I can remember going, man, what a mess they're making of that property. It looked really nice before they started all that hoopty. And so I can remember looking at it and just thinking, is the house ever going to go up? Well, after all the, the digging up of the roots and the boulders and everything, of course, then they pour the foundation. And then once the foundation is laid, two weeks, the frame's up. Whoop! It just like pops right up. And, and I remember going, isn't that funny? All the work that was done before the frame, I wasn't excited about any of that work. It didn't excite me at all. But once I thought, saw the frame going up, I got excited. And of course, then the walls and the seal, the roof and the windows and all that stuff, every level was fun, except for the foundation. But when you're laying a foundation, first-generation Christian, you're laying a foundation, it is not easy work. It is hard work. And I've watched way too many Christians give up because the pain from their past, the addictions in their family bloodline, the failures and the things, the iniquity that visits you, you didn't ask for that iniquity. You were born into it. The Bible talks about the iniquity of your fathers and mothers, and it talks about the sins of that generation. My response to the iniquity in my family is what determined what became my sins. But prior to me participating in that iniquity, it was the iniquity of my family. We have got to face the things that are in our family bloodline. We have got to look at those things and say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. As long as you hold on to the pain, as long as you hold on to the injustice that was done against you, you hold on to the, the, the actions and the attitudes and all the things that were done, and you rehearse it in your mind over and over and over again, what you're doing is you're binding those things to your own soul to duplicate what was done to you, to live out the false prophecy over your family, to live in a spirit of iniquity, to perpetuate addictions and brokenness. Somebody has got to break it. And because of the Lord Jesus and the power of his blood and the power of the cross, he gives us the ability to break what has been imputed to us, not by our choice, but by the family that we were born in. So the choices that we make in forgiving and letting go and letting God determines whether or not you come through into victory. And for your sake, for your children's sake, and for your children's children. For, for, and you know what? If you say, you know what? I have no intention on getting married. Neither did Jesus. Bless you. If you can do that and be, be, be whole, then do it. You know, it, marriage is not something you have to do to be whole. But if you choose not to have children, choose not to get married... Then, and I say this with all respect to him, for God's sake, get your own life healed and straightened out so that you can be a vessel that God can use to bring healing to others. We got to stop thinking about ourselves and start thinking about the legacy that we're leaving for those that are coming behind us. We've got to start thinking not just about your family bloodline, but the bloodline of Jesus that he has given you with the brothers and sisters that are sitting right here with you. We have got to be healed enough so that we are able to be in tune with God enough to minister to one another. At one of our food pantries, we had this lady that's a volunteer with us for a number of years, and she had lost her mother probably, I think now it's been over a year. And um, somebody came to the, to the uh, food pantry to get some food and some help, and so they were very weepy and very teary, and this person was standing there and trying to help them. And they said, you know, I, I just lost my mother. And she said, don't talk to me about it. I lost my mother too. I'm like, geez, Louise. And I don't, if your name is Louise, I don't mean anything by that. It's just an expression. But gee whiz, can we get, can we get past our stuff so that we can be available to minister to others? Could we? Maybe? Through Christ? His blood that was shed for us? Could, can we? I believe we can. I believe that we can be more than conquerors because the word of the Lord says so. I believe that we can have a word in season fitly spoken to those that are in distress and bring healing and wholeness to them. I believe that we can. Does that mean that I always do that? No, but that means that's the goal of where I want to be. I want to be selfless so that I'm more filled with Christ and what he sees and what he feels and be in tune to others. I love it. The disciples, Jesus said, we're going to Samaria. And they said, no, Lord, you can't go to Samaria and be with them dogs. That's what they said. The Samaritan people were Jewish people that had married into paganism. And so they, they worshipped, but they didn't worship 
God the way that the Jewish people worship God, and so they called them dogs. Jesus said, I must go through Samaria. And I'm reminded of the scripture verse in Acts where it says, when the Holy Spirit's come upon you, you'll be my witnesses first in Jerusalem, then in Judea, in Samaria, and the uttermost. You know what Samaria represents? All the cultural Christians who have married into paganism, they've forgotten who Jesus is. They've believed a lie. They're out there. They need us. And they don't need us to bang them over the head with a Bible verse. They need us to come alongside and to direct them to Jesus and his love. It's time, church. It's time for us to grow up in him who's the head of all things. It's time for us to face our pain. Stop making excuses. Stop blaming others. I could blame my mom to my grave. And you know what? It didn't do me any good if I did that. It doesn't do my children any good or my grandchildren. We've got to stop. I'm going to invite you to go ahead and stand with me if you would. I'm going to tell you something. The Lord refers to the church as a she, the bride. I don't fault people in the world that are running to everywhere and everything for comfort, for help. I don't fault them. They don't know any better. They come to the church. We're too busy doing our thing to take time to be with them, to love them, just to listen to them. We're too busy. We're too wrapped up in our own stuff. We're too broken still. I don't fault them for being put on medication, and I don't... I don't blame anybody that's on medication. Uh, listen, I, my mother was bipolar. My brother's bipolar. My heart goes out to people that have mentally ill family members. It's some of the most painful, confusing situations that you'll ever face in life when your own family live in that kind of a brokenness. I don't fault anybody that's on medication. I thank God I used to say to my brother, please take your meds. <laughs> please take your meds. <clears throat> but I want to tell you this. Medication is not the end all. There's this brokenness. Doctors can't fix it. Children are put on medication because their behavior is so out of control. We sedate them and we suppress them and we put them away and we move them out of the way because they're in the way of what we want to do and what our plan is. I don't fault them. I take responsibility as a minister of the gospel, and I'm not talking about as a pastor, as a person, as a Christian. I am a minister of the gospel as a Christian. Jesus said in Luke chapter 4, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. He's anointed me to preach good news, to heal the brokenhearted, to preach and bring deliverance to the captives, to open the prison door, to let the oppressed go free. That's the anointing that was on Jesus. That's the anointing that's available to us. But you can't give to others what you yourself have not had. You can't give to others what you yourself have not experienced. Because it's not a reality to you. Am I walking so that people are healed in my shadow? No. Although the apostles had that experience. When I walk into a room, do demons scream and leave people? Yeah, it's happened once or twice. But it's not part of my lifestyle. I want to see us, church, be healed. And that's not my will. I'm not speaking. I want to see that. I want to see us experience all that Christ Jesus died for us. I want to see us mature, moving in the gifts, words of knowledge, words of wisdom, ministering to people, the power of the Holy Spirit. It's what the will of God is for us. It's amazing. Jesus said, greater things will you do because I go to the Father. We can read that and say, yeah, right. Or we can read that and weep and just say, Lord, I'm not there, but God, I'm pursuing you with everything in me. That I may walk in this earth as you walked. That's what the epistles Paul prayed. That you may have a walk that's worthy of the high calling, the high calling, the high calling in Christ Jesus. 
Father God, I pray for everyone in this room. Lord, those that are aware of their wounds and they live in the pain of it, and those that are not aware and they run from it and they cover it, they hide it, they anesthetize it, they excuse it, they blame. Whatever place we're in, Lord, and this journey called life, you want to heal us. You want to deliver us. You want to make us whole. You want to bring us into the fullness of all that you have for us. You want the world to see that Jesus is alive and that he's well. You want the church to be the reflection of your face to the earth. And Lord, we have neglected to press in. We have neglected to intercede and to cry out. We have neglected the beautiful gifts that you've given us, Lord, to minister to people. And I don't know about any of you standing with me, but I'm going to pray a prayer, and I invite you to pray it with me. Heavenly Father, forgive me for being so consumed with me, with my pain, with my needs, that I've not taken them to you. I've gone my own way. I've tried, Lord, and I've failed. But I invite you in my failure. I invite you in my brokenness. I invite you into my pain. And I ask you to come, Lord, and bring the healing of Luke chapter 4 in my personal life. Open my prison door. I want to walk uprightly. Heal my broken heart. I want to live uprightly. I want to see your kingdom come. I want your will to be done. In this earth, my earth, my body, that I can live out your life in the earth. I ask it in Jesus' name. And I thank you for it, Lord. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Marlene. We're going to take five more minutes, if we could. Um, some things came to my mind quickly as she was speaking. And one of the things that actually over this week is um, me and Bethany have been, you know, doing this course uh, or the series, I should say, on inner healing. One of the things that came to mind, and I think we've heard throughout at least these four uh, services that we've had, is just the power of forgiveness. And as I was really tracking this out in my mind and through Scripture, I found that I, w- I was... Honestly, I was led back to when Christ was beaten and he hung there on the cross and his words were this, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And, and I'm very familiar. We're very familiar with that story, aren't we? That, 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 that scripture. But I started to think, I'm like, Here, here's the pure, spotless Lamb of God who has been sinned against, tremendous, I mean, beaten to the point of not being recognized. (laughs) And his last words, or not his last words, but some of his last words was, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, last Sunday, I touched upon some of the things that Jesus, radical statements that Jesus made about forgiveness. And I was, I knew of these scriptures, but, you know, they hit, you know when scripture just hits you? It's like, whoa, it's been there all that time, and it's hit you in a fresh and new way. And I started to understand that the way our, uh, yeah, the way our, the ability for me to forgive those who have sinned against me is the way, or linked to, if you would, God's forgiveness for me. And Jesus says that very clear, doesn't he? Because I think one of the major keys to healing is forgiveness. It's forgiving those who have sinned against us. You know, what Pastor Marlene touched upon, you know, revealing her family background and history. She came to that impasse where she was having to forgive her mother for, and her father for their abuse and their neglect. Same with me. God will bring you back to bring you forward. He will, listen to me, say that God will bring you back to bring you forward. What does that mean? Areas of trauma, areas of emotional brokenness, 
God will bring you back to face that giant, to forgive that person so that you can move forward in wholeness and health. Remember, I shared my story. Alcoholic father, abusive. And one of the ways that this affected me as a young man in my 20s was I had a hard time relating to males who were older than me. Males who wanted to father me. Males that... Godly males that wanted to disciple me. I, re- I remember when they call my phone or send me an email, I would get blotchy and fearful. And it was all linked to the abuse of my father. We don't really know. It wasn't to my early 20s that I even connected with the trauma of what I went through as a young boy. And I know, listen, I know we don't all have those kind of stories. Some of us have the blessing of godly parents. It wasn't my story. And I know there is a handful of people here today that it's not yours. And you would be, it would be interesting to find just how much we act today is linked to what we faced growing up as children. And God wants to heal us. Remember, Psalms 34, 18 says that he is near to the brokenhearted. And he will rescue those who are crushed in spirit. You're not alone. If you're here, to this, you're here today and you feel broke, you feel empty inside, listen, the promise of Scripture is that God is not far off, but he is near. Not only is God near, but he desires to rescue. He desires to save you. He will not leave you there. What I want to do as we conclude our service today, as I want to pray for those who, in these four weeks, the messages have resonated. They have triggered different emotional brokenness, different things in our hearts. I want to pray for you today before you go. Don't leave here if you're stirred in your heart and you need prayer. Amen? Other than that, we are officially dismissing Guys, have a great Sunday. I'm sure the sun's still up. Enjoy and be blessed. Amen? Amen.